A Weekend with Jason Dacey Replay from Money FM 89.3. Part two in our career segment uh, with Adrian Chu and Zian Chi. We're talking about tips for working offshore while living in Singapore. And this fits in with the career agility and career resilience uh, series that we have, guys, because uh, as you know, I share a different chapter from my career every week, and you guys give me some input about how it might apply to your clients. And you were talking before about uh, you know how increasingly people are having to go offshore from Singapore to continue their employment with different companies. But I actually pulled it off for three years. I based my family in Singapore and I continued to work in Malaysia. And Yen, you're from, you were born in Malaysia. You've been in Singapore a long time. But as you know, culturally, the two countries are quite different. Yes. From the outside world, they look very similar. We look very similar, but there are distinct cultural differences. Yes. Even between Chinese and Chinese, of course, within, you know, Singapore and Malaysia. So the story was that, uh, as we've discussed before, I was working as a executive producer, presenter and vice president of production for Astro. And uh, I, I got the job uh, back in 2009. And we moved there as a family with my uh, my wife and my daughter was born in that period. And, uh, you know, the job was good, but we decided that we wanted to get back to Singapore because I had uh, had my permanent residence here. And but the job opportunities hadn't uh, really come up. So I said to my family, let's let's move back to Singapore. And my boss, thankfully, at Astro, uh, C.K. Lee, who I'm very grateful for, said, OK, you can move the family back and commute back and forth. And this was a big plus, Adrian, because as you know, I'd, I'd been laid off in Singapore many years previously. And for me, it was a dream. It was a dream to get back to Singapore. But uh, as we know, it's not always easy to find a job. But this was a stepping stone. Yeah, it was part of your strategy. So I think that was that worked perfectly for you. Yeah, but I had to have a deal where I would go back and forth. Uh, I'd spend about three to four days in Malaysia, usually four days and three days in Singapore. And a lot of what I did was at the weekend because I was a football host. I'd host Premier League football and I'd, I ran a team and uh, I'd usually arrive on Friday. I'd uh, work at the weekends hosting the football. And then on Monday, I'd host another show. Then we have our meeting for the week. I'd set everything up for the week and then I'd hand it over to other team members. And then in those sort of the Tuesday to Thursday period, or I would be back in Singapore. So I was looking at different ways. Sometimes I'd drive, sometimes I'd fly. Often I got the bus, you know, at that time. It seems to have got worse, Yen, but getting the bus can be quite good because you can work on the bus, it's air-conditioned, and it was only five hours back, you know, from door-to-door, from KL into Singapore. So much better now with the highway, and the buses are nice, the seats are comfortable. Yeah, VIP buses now, right? Business class-size seats. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a very smooth journey because you don't have to worry about paying attention to traffic, and you don't have to... Exactly. Go to the airport, and KLIA is a long way from Kuala Lumpur city centre, as you know. So, unfortunately, it's less attractive now because of the jams we're getting at... at yes. the causeway and, and I think there's more people doing visa runs perhaps of maybe Indian nationals or um, Chinese nationals from both mm. countries who are doing visa runs back and forth but that period it was quite a few years ago uh, it was fine so I was doing that and I was trying to manage the team and then in Singapore Adrian I was trying to take that next step in creating contacts here because I knew that this was not sustainable for the long term so I did two years in Malaysia as the family we decided we want to get to Singapore my wife from Hong Kong much prefers Singapore because of the safety, because of the convenience and all that. Malaysia was good because they speak Cantonese and they're very friendly, as you guys know, but there's also less security. It's not as secure. It's not as convenient. And you're kind of like not as able to go out and walk on the streets. 
Yeah, there's, there's the public transport thing as well. And KL is very sprawling, so mm. it's not as easy to get around. Mm. And you have to ideally find a, a driver or you have to drive your own car. But in Singapore, you can just hop on a bus and just get to where you need to go very quickly. Yeah, buses and, and, and trains. I mean, they're, they're improving things in Kuala Lumpur, as you guys know, with the, yes. the MRT construction. But it was tiring, Adrian, because I was doing the uh, stuff at uh, in KL, and a lot of it was late night too, you know, hosting Premier League football and then getting up early on the Monday morning and having a meeting and then doing another show. And then, you know, sometimes there'd be other events I'd have to come stay longer at. So... And I'm kind of like torn between two different places. And, and in Malaysia, I'm initially I'm thinking I want to try and save money because a lot of things we have to consider, guys, is that we're spending money in both cities. Yes. You know, so you've got the normal Singapore rents and all that, but you've also got the expenses in Kuala Lumpur. And because it was my decision to actually commute, my Astro people weren't paying for my, uh, you know, my, my accommodation. And some people make that decision, Adrian, don't they, where they actually say, okay, I'll get a, an apartment here and I'll have my base in Singapore. But I was trying to do it on the cheap initially and get rooms and stuff <laughs> in, in rented accommodation. That did not work. Yeah, but in Malaysia, it's, thankfully, it's not that expensive in KL uh, if you can find the right places, I guess. It's not that expensive, but it was more economical to get rooms. But then you realize that you just don't have the rest. You need to get the rest when you're there because you get it's quite tiring. You're already tired. Yeah. So if you're like having flatmates and all that. <laughs> were, were you? Did you get a service department? And uh, Eventually, I did. Eventually, I got something like a service department. Uh, it was actually in a shopping center. That was the best solution where it was, a, like a, I guess you'd say, a studio apartment. It was very. Uh, convenient but before that I was like uh, you know renting Sharing. a room here but that that didn't work out yeah can you imagine having to to work so hard and having to come home and there's no one to help you with food or just just having someone to talk to or to unload but worse you have to clean up after yourself mm, yeah yeah well with a studio <laughs> apartment it's smaller so it's it's not too bad you know you can keep it relatively clean Crucially, in Singapore, Adrian, I was also working in Singapore. So they said to me, okay, you can do freelance work when you're in Singapore in those three days that you're yeah. doing. So I was doing voiceovers. I was doing emceeing, this and that, trainings. And I was starting to sow the seeds of my next step. Yes. But I was tired. Yeah, I think, I think it's a good strategy because you're having both uh, one, one foot in each market. So mm. you were developing both sides uh, of the Cosby. And uh, in, in terms of having a, a portfolio career, I think that's wonderful because then you're covering two markets. Even though it might be a bit straining, but during that period, I guess you did you were able to network and sow a lot of seeds. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you wake up in the bed, Yen, and you think, where am I? Am I in Singapore? <laughs> or I am, am I in Malaysia? That's a sign of age. <laughs> and then sometimes you're sleeping on the bus down. Yes. Um, and it, as I mentioned, you know, it's very unpredictable. And, um, you know, you have to kind of give yourself rest periods where you can actually just sit and watch a DVD. You know, at that time, Netflix hadn't really come, come in. So it was DVDs and all that sort of stuff. The good part is that you're enjoying cultures of both nations. The bad part is that it's extremely tiring and, and you kind of feel a bit unsettled at all times. You know what I mean? Did you ever, did you ever think about what your loved ones were going through? Did you ask your wife if, if how she was handling your Yeah, absence? probably not as much as I should have. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. But, you know, it's, uh, I think she understood it was very challenging, the, the media market. And she, I think she was grateful that she was able to move to Singapore and um, but the pressure financially is much higher because the rents are higher here, mm. and you know my daughter was was kind of getting older and going to, to preschool at, at that time as well. So you're always thinking about money and you're thinking about how can things uh, be balanced. And the other thing, Adrian, is tax, 
because uh, you're paying tax in Malaysia and Singapore. And eventually right. took me, I did it for three years, but it took me about a year and a half to two years before I got the certificate of tax residence for Singapore and showed that to the Malaysian authorities, or at least Astro, and they didn't tax me at such a heavy rate. So this is another thing that people should consider, isn't yeah, it, when they're with straddling two countries? No, that's true, that's true. And uh, one, one thing I want to add as well, Malaysia, I guess, would have been quite comfortable for you because little known fact about Jason Daisy is that he actually speaks uh, Bahasa. A little bit, yeah, yeah from my, uh, my days in Australia, learning Bahasa Indonesian, which was a, a very popular language, or fairly popular language in the 1970s when so, I was in high school. So culturally, my would have been a bit easier uh, to integrate yeah, as well, right? Yeah, I, th- I think uh, culturally, I felt very much at home. And you, you, know, you guys know how friendly and hospitable the Malaysian people yeah. are. So that was always the positive thing. But uh, let me go through the five things that I learned in these three years between Singapore and Malaysia. It was between 2011 and 2014. And eventually I did get that uh, that job, as you guys know. So the first thing was don't cut corners with accommodation like I tried to at the beginning. <laughs> Make sure you get enough rest. Um, you know, So don't try and do it on the cheap. And I ended up getting a studio apartment and that was a lot better. And number two is get more rest than normal. Don't go out socially a lot more, you know, when you were doing this sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. You just have to say no to people sometimes. Okay, this is my time to stay in and don't drink. I don't drink anyway. I can see Adrian doing, pouring the <laughs> bottle and having a drink. I don't do that. Party. Don't party too much, right, when you're overseas. So Yes. Yeah. Point number three, learn to delegate, develop trusty lieutenants. And that yes. was one thing that I did was I had to delegate because I couldn't do everything anymore because I was, you know, away uh, in the middle of the week when I was back in Singapore. So you really have to trust the people. And rather than having to do it all yourself, it's exhausting. Uh, but you need to get people, Adrian, that you can trust yeah. who will implement your plan. Boots on the ground, right? Boots on the ground. Yeah, they yeah. got to get, get things done when you're not around. So Yeah. And the next point is prepare for occasional curveballs because when you are away from mm-hmm. the office, Sometimes things happen and you don't realize what's going to go, what's happening because you're, when the cat's away, the mouse will play. <laughs> yeah, and Murphy's Law as well. All these comes in. Though, and so, so, yeah, you've got to be careful. You've got to be mindful. But now with the advent of technology, I think it's a lot easier to manage those curveballs. But nonetheless, you're right. You have to be very careful. Yeah, you do. You do. And sometimes I felt that the lieutenants were getting a bit power crazy. So they would take a lot more uh, leverage than they should have. And I remember there was a young producer who was starting to dictate to me about, you know, who should be doing what. And I said, hey, listen, I'm the boss here still. You know, I like your opinion. It was good that he was assertive because he could really take charge when I wasn't there, but he did overreach at times. So I guess that's another thing you have to worry about, uh, Yen, is that sometimes people will try and, um, you know, overextend and go beyond where they should. We can talk about management techniques next week. Ah, yeah, how do you manage that kind of thing? Yeah, I think you have to be quite blunt. That's one thing I realized from this, uh, Adrian, was at times you need to be very blunt with people and say, listen, I'm still the boss as much as I'm not going to be here as much, but uh, you have to really do what I say. Yeah, that's true. Tough love. It's tough love, yeah. And point number five, this can't be forever, develop an exit strategy. And this was something that you guys uh, spoke about in the previous segment that Three years was just about the limit of that. And you know what? When I actually got the final last step towards Singapore, I did both jobs for three months. So I'd actually, uh, when I took the job on with Disney, they actually said I could finish off my Astro commitments for three months. So I was working seven days a week for three months, pretty much. But wow. you know, financially, it was good. <laughs> <laughs> it's double the paycheck. But yeah, it's... yeah. Because it was, the, and the Disney wanted me to come on quite quickly. And I said, look, I have to finish off my Astro commitments. And luckily, the manager I had at the time said it was okay to do that. 
I was kind of like, wow. So yeah. that was that was a bit weird. Have you seen that much before, Yen, where someone has to do two jobs yes. in this transition period? And what advice would you give to people like that? All the time because it's part of your exit strategy. So mm. even if you have res- resigned from your current role, um, you want to do the right things for your people and your organization that you're leaving and ensure that you have a good transition plan. So you're pretty much double-hatting sometimes yes. while you are trying to then pick up the things that you are required to do for your new job. So, so yes, it's part of the transition strategy. And, and just a final note, right? Everything you've just described boils down to how healthy you are. So if you're not healthy and if you don't have that mental um, rest and you don't have that physical ability, this is not going to happen. So, so you just have to look after yourself. Yeah, this, this was just when I was turning 50 too. So yeah. that was kind of right at the end of think when I could physically do it. Correct. And also, uh, just to add on to what Yen mentioned, it's, it's besides having the physical health and the mental health, you also need a very strong buy-in from your family members as well. Mm. So if your wife says, uh, maybe, rather than a straight yes, then uh, you might have to think long and hard whether it's going to work in the long run because you cannot do it alone. Yeah, yeah. And I think uh, I'm grateful you know, to my family for their support because they realized I had to do it. There were no other real options. And financially, it was okay, especially those last three months uh, when you know. And the good thing was, again, too, that both of these jobs were in a way connected because it was around sports and football and media and all that. So that was a positive. It wasn't as if I was going from a shoe cleaner to a, a brain surgeon. <laughs> I think that's great. And also because your ecosystem, I think the people in your network understand what it means to uh, fulfill commitments mm. uh, because they, they understand that this is this is important and you want to do the professional thing. So great. Good yeah, for you. Yeah, yeah. But as we mentioned, Adrian, it's something that you don't want to have to do all the time because three years was at my limit. Um, so your final word of someone who's perhaps in a similar situation now, how to deal with this and, and what their strategy should be. I think number one, uh, pace yourself. Number two, watch your health and watch your family relationships. Because at the end of the day, you're not doing it for the money. You're not doing it for your fame and glory. And at the end of the day, you're probably doing it for your family. So what's the point if you if your family falls apart back home? What's the purpose of spreading your wings out when your roots are all gone, right? Mm, yeah. 100% right. So thank you very much to Adrian Chu and Zian Chi. They are from Career Agility International. You can connect with them at their office at the Clifford Centre and also connect with them via LinkedIn. Career resilience, it keeps us going in the challenging workforce of 2019.